One of the ultimate challenges for the disciples over the course of the Gospels is to live in a world without Jesus's bodily presence. The transfiguration, the mountaintop story we just read, provides real clarity as to what that will be like and how soon that will become a reality for the disciples. In fact, there is much about this event that is a foreshadowing of Jesus's passion. Scholar Andrew McGowan writes, the sleepiness of the disciples, unique to this version of the story, reminds us of another occasion they were unable to stay awake with Jesus in the garden. There is also a distinctive emphasis here, as there, on Jesus's solitude. The exchange with Peter takes place while the exalted ones are leaving Jesus. And then Luke notes that when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. The events to which the conversation among the glorious ones referred, where Jesus will face his fate by himself, is being anticipated. So is it any wonder, then, that Peter's response is, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings. In other words, how long exactly would you be willing to let us stay? I I think the others can do their best to carry out the mission, but we really appreciate being invited to see what it might be like without you. And we actually think that staying here would be better for everyone, especially for you, Jesus. I find this to be one of Peter's most relatable moments in all of scripture. After all, you can't blame the guy for asking if it was an option to spend more time with Jesus. We know how the story is resolved, though, and that Peter's persuasive powers were not enough to sway Jesus. Ultimately, the three disciples are rendered speechless by all that has taken place, and they do not mention what they had seen. This morning, I'd like to suggest that the geography of the terrain on which the story takes place provides great insight as to how the disciples are to respond and ultimately how we might respond to this idea of living in a world without Jesus's bodily presence. Mountains are known points of reorientation. Now, I realize that's not why or how mountains were formed for that purpose, But throughout the course of human history and our scriptural narrative, mountains orient us with God, they orient us with ourselves and with one another. On the peak of a mountain, the air is thinner and the views are more revealing. Metaphorically speaking, the peak of a mountain brings us closer to making contact with the place we have culturally associated with the divine, somewhere up there. As we heard from the book of Exodus this morning, Moses met God upon the mountain on more than one occasion. Throughout their 40 years of reorientation, God provided comfort, direction, and reassurance needed for the Israelites to reach their final destination. Jesus convenes with Moses and Elijah, a sign of the work that had begun with the faithful prophets coming to completion. We are to assume that the mountain Moses ascended in the wilderness leads to Jesus's mountaintop transfiguration, which also points towards the mountain on which Jesus would be crucified. Each step of the way, the faithful are reoriented towards God. 
It is no wonder then that we've since come to associate mountaintop experiences with the divine, the mysterious, and the heavenly. Transfiguration moments provide clarity. Mountaintop views provide perspective. Both give us a glimpse of the reality that is before us. For the disciples who accompanied Jesus on the way to the cross, they did not become perfect companions. Rather, in these most intimate of moments, like that which the disciples shared atop the mountain, the grandiosity of God's mercy comes into focus. This is why the journey to the top of these mountains is worth it, to reclaim our ability to recognize the journey as holy. Holy journeys are not those without suffering. Successful ascents are not void of challenges. Rather, in taking in the whole view, in remembering that God is our companion, we are able to name the journey as sacred. That is why it's worth the climb every time. This all brings me back to the original question about how the disciples are going to live in a world without Jesus' bodily presence. It would be easy, albeit tedious, to spend the rest of our time this morning cataloging what of the disciples' actions we might want to emulate and those which we might reject. It's very common and understandable to read scripture in search of what we can do to be better and more faithful Christians. But I think what comes through in this passage and is worth renaming is the scope of God's capability that is not directly correlated with our capabilities or worthiness. The scope of God's capability that is not directly correlated with our capabilities or worthiness. What we find over and over again in Holy Scripture are examples of God's willingness to go to any length to be with humanity. Throughout exile, led by a reluctant and inarticulate Moses, through the depths of the suffering that happens in the wilderness, God continued to remind God's people of God's presence and care for them. Most clearly, on the tops of mountains, but in water from a dry rock, in manna rained down from heaven, and in the companionship they found in one another, God's presence was never far from reach for those who were paying attention. Likewise, after Jesus' death, the disciples find themselves in the care of reluctant and unqualified leaders in jail cells and fighting the reality of low church attendance without their most valuable preacher. And yet, God's presence was never far from reach for those who were paying attention. Here's the thing. It was never about the disciples becoming better people or perfecting the job description that Jesus had so painstakingly laid out for them. It was always about the grace and extravagance of God's love, which would carry them through no matter what came. After all, God shaped the very land upon which we make our home to remind us of this, pointing us in that direction whenever we need a not-so-subtle reminder. This morning, it is worth mentioning that we are surrounded by evidence of God's presence in our midst, despite the physical absence of Jesus' body. In a moment, we will baptize Dexter, whom some of you know and love very well. 
And there are others in this room for whom Dexter and his parents are folks you see on Sunday but do not know well at all. Together, this group of beloved family and fellow parishioners will do a completely countercultural thing in committing our love and care to Dexter and his family for the remainder of his life. We will affirm the undeniability of God's presence in his life and commit ourselves to being reminders of that love and grace every chance we get. We will do this imperfectly, which God reassures us is sufficient because God's love transcends our very best efforts. God's presence has also been readily apparent in the neighborhood this week, as many of our neighbors and friends suffered tremendous damage from downed trees, power outages, and inconveniences of all sizes. You all showed up. You swept walkways, you picked up sticks, you made phone calls, you opened the church for anyone who needed air conditioning, you delivered meals, and offered comfort. They may seem like small gestures, but I assure you they are evidence of much, much more. In showing up, thoughtfully, imperfectly, and in the way neighbors are meant to do, your presence has been a gift. The disciples were the first to confront the reality of a world with Jesus' bodily presence and the disappointment of life after his body had ascended to be with God. We will likely not be the last to face this reality. But of the many gifts of the transfiguration comes the gift of grace. It's not about, nor has it ever been about, that of which we are capable. It's always been about wrapping our hearts and minds around all of which God is capable. God has placed in our lives opportunities for mountaintop revelations and transfigurations, much like that that which will take place this morning with the gift of baptism. If we are paying attention, there are plenty of opportunities to be closer to the divine, even if only in a brief ascent. The good news is that these intersections with the holy are not dependent upon our own limited capabilities, but God's limitless desire and capacity to be with us. Amen.